Do they care about you? And if they don't, why don't they care about you? We're going to talk about inflation. We're going to update you on Kyle Rittenhouse. We have a great show tonight on I'm Right. Do our people who lead us, do they care about us? It's a simple question. And it almost sounds juvenile to ask the question, right? But do they actually care? When they look at bad numbers here, poverty there, drug use, whatever the case may be, do they look and do they feel anything inside? Or are they so completely consumed with themselves and a hatred of the country, they don't care at all? I mean, I think... I think we all know the answer to that question. It's an uncomfortable answer. It forces us to confront some realities we don't want to confront, but they don't care. That's the truth. And remember, we've talked about it a million times on the show. We're going to go into inflation tonight. We're going to update on Kyle Rittenhouse and everything, but we've talked about this a million times. We're going to keep talking about it until everybody understands the leaders of your cultural institutions, your cultural pillars. Remember, every culture has pillars. You do. Government, religion, the business world. Just You have different pillars that hold up your culture, hold up your country. The leaders of virtually all of our pillars now, they all share the same three characteristics, virtually all of them. This goes for CEOs. It goes for politicians. Every Democrat, more than half the Republicans, It goes for professional athletes, actors. It goes for professors. It goes for every part of the system. These people all share this. Half the pastors share this. Same three characteristics. One, no love of country. None. Oftentimes, there's a flat-out hatred for the country, but there's no love of it. And you're about to see an example of this coming soon. They just... I don't know whether I should make excuses for them because of the education system. Maybe they had bad parents. I don't know. But it's hard to accept the president of the United States of America, the energy secretary, the transportation secretary. It's hard to accept the people in these huge positions. They never, ever, 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 ever walk into work and think to themselves, honestly, what can I do that's best for America today? The thought doesn't enter their mind. They worry about poll numbers here, this constituent group there, or have we punished our enemies here? But what's best for America is simply not a thought that crosses any of their minds. So that's one. Two, no connection to the real world. We'll get to that a lot today. No connection at all. These are people in general, Not and believe me, I don't have any problem with people growing up wealthy. Good for you. But these are people in general who grew up fairly well off. They went right from school to some communist university somewhere, usually one of the fancy ones, Harvard and whatnot. There, they got the finishing touches on, well, why America sucks. And yes, America sucks, but why you, Mr. Soon-to-be Harvard grad, you should rule over it like a king, which leads us to number three, the third thing they all have in common, a genuine, heartfelt, deep down to the core belief that they should rule over you as a king does. These people do not view themselves as your representative, as serving the people. They view themselves as being above you. You're one of the peasants. You're just one of the plebs. 
And honestly, they kind of kind of disdain this whole representative government thing. Let's just do away with that. Let's go back to, so I can have my own feudal kingdom. That's how they view the world. I mean, look, the energy secretary was asked a question about you having your back broken at the pump. And I just want to remind everyone, the three things again, no love of country, no connection to the real world, and a belief they should rule over you. Watch your energy secretary when she was asked about gas prices you can no longer afford. In Sturgis, Michigan, it is $2.89 a gallon. I guess that's better than in California. What is the grand home plan to increase oil production in America? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that is hilarious. That's hilarious. When you're sitting there filling up your car and you're trying to do the math. I know I've been there before. You're trying to do the math. You see, I've been there where you don't go up and put the gas nozzle in and you just depress it and then you go inside and grab a pack of gum. I've been there where you think to yourself, oh, man, I can put in 10 or 20 bucks today. I don't get paid till tomorrow. Americans are making those decisions across the country right now. The energy secretary, when asked a very pointed question about it, throws her head back in laughter because she doesn't have any love of country. It never crosses her mind, the energy secretary, how to lower your gas prices because she doesn't have any connection to the real world. She doesn't worry about how much gas she can put in her Tesla or whatever she drives. And because she believes she's in charge and you're one of the peasants, and of course the peasants don't get to eat as well as the king. They all share the same three characteristics. And I don't know what you want me to say. We have new inflation numbers out. Expectations for the coming year say it's going to be 5.7%. That's according to the monthly survey of consumer expectations from the Federal Reserve. 5.7%. And when we think about what that means, I know you already know, but when we think about what that means for normal people, that's the boss calling you into his office and saying, hey, we're giving you a 5% pay cut. That's what that means. Every dollar you have is worth 5% less, more than 5% less. Maybe you're okay with that, or maybe you'll be okay. I hope you are. But how many millions, tens of millions of Americans out there are not going to be okay? I know for large portions of my life, you can't give me a 5% reduction or I'm not eating or the, the, the power bill isn't getting paid or something. That's a big deal. And this is part of why I hate these people so much, part of why I really, truly think many of them are just flat-out evil. Not wrong, evil. How they're now going to lie to you about what you see. You see, the average American, he's already getting hit in the face with it. You try to buy beef, you try to buy coffee, eggs, gas, whatever. Things in your life are getting more and more expensive. People are feeling it. So the system is going to do a couple things to you. They're going to lie to you endlessly about why you're feeling it. And they're going to tell you, stop complaining. It's actually a good thing. Look at this jaw dropper of a headline from MSNBC. Why the inflation we're seeing now is a good thing. Yes, it's a, it's a very good thing. You see, you got a 5% reduction in pay. Stop whining, peasant. 
understand that it's a good thing. Your betters will explain why to you. Unreal. Unreal. The chutzpah of these people. And we don't have serious people in charge. I mean, remember, Pete Buttigieg, he's the transportation secretary. And let's just clarify how he got there again real quickly. He was a mayor, and not a very good one, in Indiana. Then he ran for president. And butt gig, I have warned people about this for years, and you'll see it in the coming years. You probably see it now. Butt gig, I warned, was probably the most dangerous candidate in the presidential field because I see an anger inside of this guy. He really wants to take it out on somebody. And voters sensed it, too, so they kicked him out of office. He didn't get the presidency. But remember, he was part of that group that all just kind of miraculously withdrew from the race at once. And wow, Joe Biden's now ahead. And oh, look at that. He ends up being transportation secretary as if all that wasn't arranged. But he's now transportation secretary. So he goes from failed mayor in Indiana to transportation secretary. And this, this is the seriousness level of the people who run this country. Can you give us the construct of how you will deconstruct the racism that was built into the roadways. I'm still surprised that some people were surprised when I pointed to the fact that uh, if a highway was built for the purpose of dividing a white and a black neighborhood, or if an underpass was constructed such that a bus carrying mostly black and Puerto Rican kids uh, to a beach, or it would have been, uh, in New York was, was designed uh, too low for it to pass by, that that obviously reflects racism that went into those design choices. Um, I don't think we have anything to lose by confronting that simple reality. And I think we have everything to gain by acknowledging it and then dealing with We are in some trouble. And look, hey, Mr. Transportation Secretary, not that I want to not that I want to distract anybody from the racism of an underpass, but um, we have 500,000 ships parked off the coast of California. They can't get here. And we now have truckers out there saying we're facing a possible 37% reduction in the workforce because of the vaccine mandate. And I want you, the viewer right now, do a little experiment with me here. Wherever you're sitting, wherever you're watching the first, whether it be in your living room, on your TV, maybe you're on your phone somewhere, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I want you to do me a favor and look around your room right now. And as you're looking around at the various things, look at the things in your area, I want you to think about how many of those things at one point or another were on the back of a truck. All of them. Everything around you has been on a truck at one point or another. We are an economy right now facing an inflation crisis, as we just said, facing a supply chain crisis. We have an overrun border. We have many, many problems. And we're about to add to that, laying off one-third of the nation's truckers who make things go to and fro. Uh-oh. That is really, really, really not good. And, again, the people we have in charge, they don't care. They don't know what they're doing, and they don't care that they don't know what they're doing. It's just full speed ahead with this cultural Marxist filth. Here's Karen Jean-Pierre asked about gas prices. What options besides tapping the Strategic Petroleum Reserve does the president have 
to counteract higher gas prices? So, um, you know, we've t I've talked about this a couple of times. You know, we we have we don't have an announcement yet on anything uh, on anything to share at this time. Uh, you know, but we're we're monitoring it, right? We're monitoring the the prices, and we're making sure that we have tools in our tool belt that we can uh, we can uh, we can try and, and and use. But at this at this time, I don't have anything new uh, to to share. What else are you reviewing? Because Secretary Granholm has confirmed that is an option that's on the table, and the president has said there. Are other tools that he could potentially use so could you just lay out what those other options are that he's considering so I don't again I don't I don't have anything specific here you're monitoring it <laughs> no I want you to mr. producer I'm gonna want you to play that whole thing again you know what this reminds me of this reminds me of me in high school when the teacher comes up and there's this huge multi-part homework assignment that's due over at a period of weeks and I haven't turned any of it in and she comes up to me and she says, Jesse, are you going to turn in any of the homework assignment? And this is how I responded. What options besides tapping the Strategic Petroleum Reserve does the president have to counteract higher gas prices? So. Um, you know, we've t I've talked about this a couple of times. You know, we we have we don't have an announcement yet on anything uh, on anything to share at this time. Uh, you know, but we're we're monitoring it, right? We're monitoring the the prices, and we're making sure that we have tools in our tool belt that we can uh, we can uh, we can try and, and and use. But at this at this time, I don't have anything new uh, to to share. What else are you reviewing? Because Secretary Granholm has confirmed that is an option that's on the table, and the president has said there other tools that he could potentially use so could you just lay out what those other options are that he's considering so I don't again I don't I don't have anything specific here <laughs> what? I don't look I don't have anything really specific per se we're, we're monitoring we're doing a lot of monitoring we look there are a lot of tools there's some there's a tool belt out there lots of tools in the tool belt <laughs> these people have no idea they have no plan they don't even want a plan. What's their plan for reducing oil prices? They're planning to shut down another pipeline in Michigan. Karen Jean-Pierre was asked about that too by Peter Ducey. Why is the administration now <laughs> considering shutting down the Line 5 pipeline from Canada to Michigan? It is inaccurate what you just stated. What's but so but the, the reporting, the reporting about uh, us wanting to shut down the Line 5. I said, uh, is, it, is it being studied right now? Is the administration studying the impact? Of shutting down yeah. the line five. Yes, so, we are. We are. So that. Inaccurate? Well, I thought you were saying that we were going to shut it down, yeah. but that is that is not inaccurate. Be okay, great, 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 great. <laughs> and so they're going to cover for Joe, and they're going to lie, and they're going to stumble their way through this whole thing. And I mean, I shouldn't be laughing because the truth is, real people suffer. And they're going to protect Joe as this continues to get worse. He sat down with a local Cincinnati station and started getting asked some tough questions. Ooh, boy, did they step in then. The latest polling from USA Today has your approval rating uh, at 38%. A new CNN poll shows 58% of Americans believe that you aren't paying enough attention 
to the nation's most important issue. So I'm wondering when you combine that with the election results that we saw last week, um, is this giving you kind of a sign that maybe you need to recalibrate some of your administration's priorities as you approach that one-year mark in office? The point is I didn't run because of the polls. We're in a situation where there's a lot of, a lot of anxiety. Gas prices are up exceedingly high. They've been up this high before, but not, not recently. Gas price, that's why I have the Attorney General taking a look at whether or not these gas companies are gouging people because although the price of oil is coming down some, the price of gas hadn't come down some. So there's a lot of things that have people that are really a great deal of anxiety, a great deal of concern. And, uh, and they all relate to, even though we've created almost 6 million jobs, since I came into office. We're in a situation where people don't, I mean, they don't feel it right now. They don't feel it. President Biden, I'm being told that is the last question we have time for uh, to ask you today. Yeah, we're doing well. All that may have made you uncomfortable, but I'm right. We have COVID mandate madness here coming up, but first, set all that ucky stuff aside. You know, flipping houses is a lot of fun. I mean, look, everyone watches the shows on TV. My wife watches them all the time. They're about this couple, they buy this house, spruce it up a little bit, turn around, sell it, make a little cheddar. It's a lot, it looks like a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun and you can make a pile of money. And you don't have to know what you're doing because FlippingMadeEasy.com knows what they're doing. And they've put everything you need on one website. If you go to FlippingMadeEasy.com and you sign up, use the promo code JESSE to save you some money, FlippingMadeEasy.com promo code JESSE. When you go sign up there, you have every single thing you need from experts writing articles. You have vendors, local vendors in your area. You have the flipping opportunities in your area. I don't know what to buy. It's right there. FlippingMadeEasy.com. Go. Get it. Enjoy. Use the promo code JESSE. We'll be back. They're not going to stop all this mandate madness, this craziness out there. And this has been my frustration since the very beginning, since 15 days to slow the spread. And you remember, I was right here on camera saying, are you out of your minds? No, no, don't do this. These people do not give back power. They're not sitting around a table right now trying to figure out how to back off, how to leave you alone. No more mandates, no more masks, no more this. No. That thought never enters their mind. They're not going to stop. They never stop. They're communists. Simply there to a fifth center uh, to see the headlines that, you know, the rules been stayed now. But, you know, will, should they prepare their employees now to get vaccinated or should they wait while this was No, that's a great question. I appreciate the question. We think we people should not wait. It's We say do not wait to take actions that will keep your workplace safe. It is important and critical to do and waiting to get more people vaccinated will lead to more outbreaks and sickness. So this is about keeping people in a workplace safe and so and what we're seeing is more businesses and school closures and most lost jobs and keep us keep us stuck in a pandemic that we're trying to end. Like we do not want that to happen. We're trying to get past this pandemic 
And we know the way to do that is to get people vaccinated. So people should not wait. They should continue to, to go uh, move forward and make sure that they're getting their, their, uh, their workplace vaccinated. Just to clarify, the Fifth Circuit, they put a stop to the vaccine mandate. That's a court order. Stopped. The White House says, don't stop, keep going. That's, that's tyrannical. That's something a dictator would do. I don't care what the courts say, keep going. It's a really, really, really big deal the way these people see themselves. A really big deal. And look, when I say they're not going to stop, understand something. They're still seeking out new ways to punish you dirty, unvaccinated people. The U.S. is now accepting fully vaccinated travelers from countries that were previously restricted during the pandemic. Given how rapidly the Delta variant spread here within the United States over the summer, why are there still no vaccine or testing requirements for domestic travel? So, you know, we say this all the time. Everything's on the table. We just don't have any announcement to to preview right now on this. Mm -hmm. Everything's on the table. Domestic air travel. Everything is on the table. They're constantly telling you what they believe, what they think. Believe them. And remember, just, just I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get off this now, but just remember this. This never, ever, ever stops until we stop it. Until there is mass noncompliance, this never stops, ever. Because these people won't get tired. All right, we still got a great show for you. Make sure you stay tuned. Until you catch our light in the mood at the end of the show, it's a real uplifter. But let's talk about your home for a minute. Would suck to get kicked out of that home, right? Would suck to have to come home from work and tell your spouse that they should pack a bag because you're getting kicked out. That's happening to people across the country because of home title theft. These cyber thieves, they hack into your home title. It's online. It's online. They hack into it. They forge your signature on it. They take a loan out against it. The, the signature looks real, by the way. You should have seen it. They did it to me. And then they take off with the money. You start getting late notices, and then you start getting eviction notices. At that point, you either get evicted or you spend tens of thousands of dollars on a lawyer to try to stay in the home you didn't sell. Or you can go to HomeTitleLock.com right now and sign up. They'll detect any tampering and shut it down like that. HomeTitleLock.com. Go now. I feel like most Americans realize China isn't exactly our friend. And I feel like many Americans, probably not most, but many understand who Xi Jinping is. He's the leader of China. But I do believe that is where the knowledge of this human being stops. You could probably pick him out of a police lineup. But who is this guy? Probably worth asking, given China's military and industrial power. Joining me now, Michael Sanger. He is the author of the book Snake Oil. How Xi Jinping shut down the world. Michael, how did he shut down the world? Thanks so much, Jesse. Thank you so much for having me on the show. So the title of the book is Snake Oil. And essentially, the premise of the book is really summarized in that title. Uh, essentially, the entire COVID-19 crisis from the very first impressions we got in early 2020 was just a giant snake oil sale by the Chinese Communist Party in which they sowed this unwarranted fear of the virus and essentially used that unwarranted fear to launder the snake oil of totalitarianism uh, 
most, most importantly, these lockdowns into science. That lockdown, if you actually go back and look at the scientific literature, if you go back and look at pandemic plans around the world and developed nations around the world, and even the World Health Organization's own pandemic plans, this concept of lockdown actually had no basis in science prior to Xi Jinping's orders in January 2020. So this was actually laundered into science just in a matter of just a few weeks in February 2020. it had no prior scientific basis before that. And this entire concept of lockdown, which was laundered so quickly into science, was all based on this idea that um, the Chinese Communist Party had eliminated this virus from all of China by shutting down Wuhan for um, a month or two. And that's really it. That's the entire scientific basis for this idea behind lockdown. And just based on that, within a matter of weeks, the entire world had shut down. And I mean, that's the long and short of it, using this sort of viral public health propaganda, this terror that was sowed in early 2020, this viral public health propaganda, and the CCP's network of collaborators around the world based on the decades that the West had uh, been dealing with China in business and academics and normalized China, that they had that much influence that they're actually able to launder this into science in just a matter of weeks. That's what I wanted to ask you about. Actually, that was what I was going to ask next is, okay, I understand China maybe locking down their place. And I certainly understand China lying, trying to get everyone else to absolutely shoot themselves in the foot. I get all that. What I don't get is how American experts, scientists, doctors, so on and so forth, how every single talking head on the television seem to be parroting the Chinese propaganda. We don't have people who can think for ourselves here. Right. I mean, that is, you know, the worst part of this story is how in the world did the United States of America come to be this enamored with China that, you know, our entire pandemic plan, our scientific literature, really our entire epistemology was just tossed out uh, in just a matter of weeks to make way for this um, concept of lockdown that had just been ordered weeks before by Xi Jinping, who everybody knows is, you know, arguably the world's worst dictator. Um, Everybody knows that, and yet they adopted his policy and (laughs) shut down the entire United States of America based on that. There are several explanations. Um, You know, first of all, it was the effectiveness of that terror propaganda. Uh, You know, I think most people saw the fake videos of Wuhan residents just falling to their deaths in January and February of 2020. And even though they might look silly, that was very effective because it just implanted the idea in the even in skeptical minds. And some people bought it outright and they thought this is a super virus and you know we gotta do everything we can. We never world's never seen anything like this before. But even for people who didn't buy into it outright, there was that there was just that kind of what if in the back of their minds. This idea that, you know, maybe I should wait and see. Maybe I shouldn't speak up. Like this all seems kind of strange, but you know, what if? What if it actually is a super virus? So even for people who are skeptical, they kept a little more quiet than they would have. And that group think is just very effective. Um, and the other thing is China's influence with it at the institutional level, especially among elite institutions. And there's a huge group think aspect to this. When people see Um, these prestigious magazines and prestigious publications, prestigious universities, getting behind this lie that you can just eliminate a virus from a country by shutting down one city for a couple months. You know, that is really stupid in itself. But when you see Harvard University, you see all these economists at the University of Chicago saying, oh yeah, great idea. Yeah, you can definitely do that. 
you see New York Times saying, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it, guys. You know, this is America's most historically most prestigious newspaper saying, yeah, this is a great idea. This is what you got to do. And they adopt this. All of a sudden, you have the most prestigious elite institutions in America repeating this lie. Suddenly, you think, okay, maybe I'm the stupid one. Maybe, you know, you really can eliminate a virus by shutting down a city for a couple months. And maybe this really is the science. Um, you know, I don't see it in the, you know, literature personally, but maybe I'm missing something because these are like really prestigious people saying this. So this lie becomes normalized and it doesn't take very many people. And historically, this is how communist influences operated. This is how um, the Chinese Communist Party won the Chinese Civil War. This is how Joseph Stalin took over Eastern Europe. It only takes a very small number of collaborators. And that's when you get into the darkest part of the story. Who is a CCP collaborator? If there are any at all, could just be pure groupthink or propaganda. Um, but historically, these influence operations involved this very tiny number of well-placed collaborators to normalize this lie in very key institutions. I think where you might find them is obviously in the public health bureaucracy, perhaps in the biosecurity bureaucracy, um, you know, getting the national intelligence community to uh, go along with this idea that it could be a super virus. So that is perhaps the... Um, deepest and darkest part of the story is who deliberately pushed this along within our own um, bureaucracy. Yeah. Michael, again, speak with Michael Sanger. I cannot wait to read this book. The book is called Snake Oil. Michael, explain to me as, as much as you know, who is this man? Where did he come from? What kind of person is he? So that's actually a very important story. In the uh, first chapters of the book, um, are really kind of dedicated to that story. So Xi Jinping is a Chinese Communist Party princely. He is a son of one of the um, revolutionary leaders who fought alongside Mao in the Chinese Civil War. Um, Mao and his father had a falling out. And then during the Cultural Revolution, the Cultural Revolution is a period uh, shortly after Mao's Great Leap Forward, the worst famine in human history, where Mao was feeling very insecure, and he began this really hardline communist campaign. Um, you know, the level I'd say even really more communist than North Korea, if that's possible. Where uh, Mao inspired all of his fanatical followers to go across China and literally destroy um, all of China's ancient historical artifacts and statues, um, and instill uh, Mao Zedong thought as China's dominant ideology. So he just had created this fanatical base and anybody who was not intensely loyal to Mao Zedong was purged. That included Xi Jinping's father. So during this period, um, Xi Jinping had a horrible youth during this period because his father was purged. Uh, his school was shut down. Xi Jinping was kind of a nerd growing up. He was kind of this bookish kid. And so he's being bullied relentlessly. His parents were tortured. His sister was coerced into suicide. Uh, he was taught trying to escape um, rural labor, so he was actually sentenced to a forced labor camp for re-education. And yet, despite all this, he never lost faith in the party, and eventually decided that you know it wasn't Mao's fault. It, this is all this is all necessary. This is part of his education, and he became intensely loyal to the party and the mission of the Chinese Communist Party. As a result, he applied ten times to get back on good graces with the Chinese Communist Party, and since then, you know, he was just a model. Chinese Communist Party man, just intensely loyal to the original ideals of Mao Zedong. And he just, everywhere he looked, he saw corruption. 
he saw Western corruption all across China, and he was just dedicated to purging this because, you know, this could succeed. Mao's original vision could succeed. So as soon as he gets power, it's, you know, a soft coup by people like Xi, who were intensely loyal to this idea that communism was the world's future. The communism and capitalism cannot coexist. And yet he became just an absolute dictator, essentially like Mao Zedong. There's just no question he is the most absolute ruler that China has had since Mao Zedong, um, has punished millions of officials, has replaced images of Jesus Christ with images of himself in churches, obviously, you know, millions of minorities in concentration camps. Um, yeah, I don't think people grasp, they think, you know, China's pretty far away, that's a nine hour flight away, like that's not gonna affect us. We're talking about a country of 1.4 billion people. You know, we're talking about a sixth of the world's population um, in this country that is becoming more dystopian year by year, day after day. That is going to, and not yeah, only is it, you know, a sixth of the world's population, it is very integrated into the global economy yeah. and the global system, backsliding. And we haven't seen something like that since Nazi Germany, a country become that dystopian while being integrated into the global economy. Um, this has he is Michael Sanger, his book, sorry, Michael, sorry about that. He is Michael Sanger, his book is Snake Oil. Go out and get it today. I am going to get it. I am completely fascinated by this. Thank you, Michael. Thanks so much, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Now, are you in debt? Are you? It's all right. If you, if you, if you owe $10,000 or more, it's all right. And what happens is when you get buried in debt, 50, 60 grand, whatever the, whatever the case may be, 100, I don't know, I don't, I don't know. When you get buried in debt, sometimes it's tempting to give up because you're doing the math, right? I take in this much every month, even if I were to save every dime, which is not possible, right? But even if I save every dime, I'll never even pay off this. Let's just throw our hands up. I understand. Do me a favor and make one more phone call for me call Total Financial Freedom. They've been doing it for over 15 years. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Give them a phone call. There's nothing you've done. There's no amount of debt or weird debt you've acquired they haven't seen before. They're cutting payments in half sometimes, in half. Call 877-332-8291. 877 We'll be back. Sometimes we even bring educated people on the show to tell us about fancy lawyering things. And that's where my buddy Will Chamberlain always comes in. He's, of course, the senior counselor of the Internet Accountability Project. Will, now, as you know, they didn't offer a law program at my community college, so I don't know what exactly is going on in the Rittenhouse trial. I try to read people like you who educate me, but Kyle Rittenhouse, everyone remembers him being called a white supremacist last summer when he killed a couple Antifa guys. He's now on trial. How's it going, Will? Uh, very poorly for the prosecution. Uh, well, so far for Mr. Rittenhouse's chances. And, you know, you can talk all you want about my fancy law degree, but you don't really need one to figure out that things are going badly for the prosecution. When the prosecution's own witnesses say things like, he didn't shoot me until I pointed my gun at him. <laughs> like, I don't I mean, it seems pretty intuitive self-defense at that point. Uh, you know, today's testimony was the medical examiner who apparently testified that uh, Mr. Rosenbaum, the first person shot, 
um, that his hands had gunpowder on them, which would indicate they were very close to the barrel of the gun, which would support a theory that he was trying to grab the gun and take it away from Kyle, which is also clear self-defense. So it's 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 been very going almost laughably poorly for the prosecution. Okay, in case, by the way, in case everyone's wondering what Will was talking about, about the guy admitting pointing the gun at him, we actually have the video clip here. Watch this. That's a photo of you, yes? Yes. Okay. Um, that's Mr. Rittenhouse? Correct. When you were standing three to five feet from him with your arms up in the air, he never fired, right? Correct. It wasn't until you pointed your gun at him, advanced on him, with your gun, now your hands down, pointed at him, that he fired, right? Correct. <laughs> okay, that's, uh, yeah, that didn't seem like it went well. Okay, Will, break this down for people who don't understand because I don't understand. Did they overcharge Kyle Rittenhouse? Should he have not been charged at all? Everything I look like, this doesn't look like a kid who should be on trial. Looks like he should be getting a medal somewhere, but I don't want to speak out of turn. What happened? How did all this get to this place? Um, this is the kind of case that normally prosecutors will decline to charge, uh, not least because they would think that Kyle acted in the right, you know, in self-defense, but also because they don't want to get embarrassed when clear video evidence demonstrates that their theory of the case is nonsense. Um, so you end up with this kind of bizarre situation where because there's this social media mob that's trying to pressure prosecutors into doing things and and it's it's hard to dissent from the party line. People were getting banned for defending Rittenhouse a year ago, for example, um, that you end up with these prosecutions that would never happen if they weren't subject to this intense social media pressure. But it, it turns out that a court of law is a very different from Twitter. Um, you can't just make something up or, or take a very tenuous BS line about someone's guilt and then expect it to fly with a jury. The other side gets to get up and ask you, your witnesses questions about it. And if the answers don't make sense, they can keep asking questions about it to show how flawed everything is. And, and I think that's what happened there. Um, you had Grosskreutz eventually forced to concede that self-defense was what was happening here. Will, can you explain to me then, a district attorney, I mean, I realize there are some hardcore lefty ones in this country, but they now charge people with crimes that can put them away for life based on what's trending on Twitter? Are you seeing a lot of this in the country? Because that's really not a healthy place to be. I, I mean, I don't honestly think we're seeing that much of it in the absence of, I mean, because here's the thing, prosecutors are self-interested people. You start with that assumption, right? They might, they might generally be working in the public interest, but they're generally self-interested. And, and a large part of that self-interest is maintaining a spotless prosecutorial record. It's not hard in general for prosecutors to have a really, really good record of winning a trial, because generally when they bring a case to trial um, and don't let somebody plea out, uh, it's because they, they have, they're confident they can prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, and usually they can. Um, lawyers in my old firm, you know, bragged about their massively incredible trial records, but those were those records were always compiled as prosecutors when they when they had the deck stacked in their favor, if you will. Um, so this is a really weird one. Um, and so it's a unique phenomenon that's kind of specific to these social media cases where prosecutors bring cases that they really should know are very bad, uh, very, very bad cases, but they do it because there's a mob at the door demanding that the prosecution happen. That's very odd. All right, I, I did see St. George Floyd's nephew, Mr. Cortez Rice, put out a little video. I'm going to play it for everyone now.
I ain't even gonna name the people that I know that's up in the, in the Kenosha. I mean, in the Kenosha trial. But there's cameras in there. Yep. It's definitely cameras up in there, and there's definitely right. people taking pictures of the juries and everything like that. We know what's going on. So we need the same results, man. We need the same results. Justice for Dante Wright. Justice for Austin. Will now? I'm not clear again on on all the legal legalities behind all this, but I. I, it's my it's my impression that it's not legal to threaten a jury to come up with the verdict you want. Yeah, that's that's my understanding as well. I think this person should be interviewed by local police or federal investigators, one of the two, to kind of figure out exactly who is planning to dox jurors in a prominent criminal trial. Um, behavior is appalling and not something to be flippant about. And uh, you know, I'd like to see this person under oath <laughs> explaining exactly what he knows about these people who want to intimidate jurors and corrupt the corrupt the rule of law. Okay. Well, look, I mean, look, maybe he will get out of it scot-free. His uncle was a saint. Let's play the media's narrative about Kyle Rittenhouse immediately after the shooting took place because I have to question whether or not Kyle might end up being a very, very, very rich man when this trial's over. Kenosha shooter, Kyle Rittenhouse, he murdered two people, by the way. Rittenhouse is basically what you would have had in a school shooter. He's a 17-year-old kid. He shouldn't have had a gun. He crossed state lines to supposedly protect property. No, he was going out to shoot people. Kyle Rittenhouse, the 17-year-old vigilante. Kyle Rittenhouse, a vigilante. Kyle Rittenhouse, the armed teenage vigilante. A 17-year-old vigilante, arguably a domestic terrorist, picked up a rifle, drove to a different state to shoot people. Kyle Rittenhouse. <laughs> a guy who's deeply racist went with weapons to a Black Lives Matter protest looking to get in trouble. He did. He murdered a couple of people. Rittenhouse, uh, the 17-year-old kid, just running around shooting and killing protesters. You see the 17-year-old who was radicalized by Trumpism, took his AR-15 to Kenosha and became a killer. All right, well, I obviously don't think anybody watching has any love for any one of the losers we just saw there, so I don't think we necessarily have to comment on that, although you're more than welcome to, but I don't understand how the whole lawsuit business works. That sure seems like a bunch of people on national television accusing him of being a white supremacist murderer without evidence. Can he sue? Very tricky in the United States. They're all public figures, so you'd have to prove what's called actual malice, meaning like they knowing, lying, or reckless disregard of the truth. And the problem is at the time that most of those statements were made, Kyle Rittenhouse was charged with murder, right? So even if that charge was baseless, I think all these commentators will have the ability to say, well, I had a reasonable basis to say what I said. I honestly thought it. And so, and that's kind of the end of a defamation claim in the United States. Now, query whether that should be defamation law, Right. I mean, in, in a sense, the victim of defamation is is an innocent victim. He didn't do anything. And all of a sudden his reputation is being slandered. And this is true in every context. And so, you know, the, the laws around defamation are a lot looser in, in other parts of the world. It's really unique to the United States, at least regards to the Western world, how, how strict we are or how hard we make it for defamation plaintiffs. Um, because if you're able to just sow any sort of basis for saying what you said, um, or it, or really, it's just people aren't able to prove that you knowingly lied, then it's really hard to win a defamation claim. Okay, then how did that Nicholas Sandman, people remember he was the guy who was smiling when the when the uh, Indian dude who went pounding on some drums up in his face and everyone called him a white supremacist. How did Nicholas Sandman end up a very rich man? 
Uh, well, uh, we don't actually know that he ended up a very rich man. Uh, we know that he sued, and the top line number that he sued for was $250 million, and we know that he settled, but we don't know the number he settled for. Um, and so some of the lawyers involved, some of whom I don't have a lot of respect for, namely Lynn Wood, uh, made claims about, you know, they, they trumpeted a press release, ah, Kyle, you know, like Nicholas Salmon settles $250 million lawsuit, but they, they helpfully omitted the actual dollar amount that went to him. I, ex I suspect that he actually didn't do as well as most of us thought. Um, and, and probably because the Washington Post had a sort of similar, was in a similar position. They did, I, I don't think the lawyers in that case chose the best uh, defendants to really go after. And as a result, I don't actually think Nick Samden made that much money. All right. Will Chamberlain, thank you so much, Will. Always a pleasure. All right. It's time for Lighten the Mood. Next. All right, it's time to lighten the mood. And you know what always brings me up? I don't, I don't know why you can say I'm a big softy, but what always lifts me up and brightens my day is when I see a good animal rescue video. I mean, you've seen these videos. I have a deer caught in a frozen lake. A dog's tracked, trapped out in the water and they go get him. I like watching animals who are rescued. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this bird. I'm going to follow you because... Let's make sure I get this. One, two, three! Oh, oh. God, I think it's... I'm sorry. Uh, I'll see you tomorrow.